Hey friend, I want to share with you one of my absolute favorite resources from Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. It's the Pain to Purpose 42-Day Devotional. This devotional is a beautiful 42-day journey through life's valleys with biblically-based encouragement to help you or someone you love navigate the difficulties of life. Each week, you'll learn from the journey of a major character in Scripture and be able to reflect on how that impacts your own story and whatever you're facing. From Job to David, Ruth to Jesus himself, you'll see how God has taken the most dire of circumstances and brought healing and redemption from the ashes. This devotional makes a great gift for the person who is walking through a recent loss or trauma or who carries the wounds from pain in their past. It's something that you can keep on hand to give to someone who is experiencing any kind of pain point, and it's a great addition to your daily time with the Lord. For just $25, you can get one for yourself or gift it to a friend. For our Nothing Is Wasted podcast listeners, we want to offer you 20% off your entire order of the devotional, whether it's one or whether it's 20, using the coupon code PODCAST. Again, 20% off your entire order of devotionals using the coupon code PODCAST. Grab a copy today of the Pain to Purpose 42-Day Devotional at nothingiswasted.com slash Devo, D-E-V-O, nothingiswasted.com slash Devo. Be encouraged by it yourself or encourage someone else in their journey through life's valleys. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash Devo. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Davey Blackburn. And joining me again for the interim while Aubrey's out, Carissa. Hello. So great to have you. Thanks for having me back. Always good to Chris be here. Sprinkle, ladies and gentlemen, in case thank you, thank you, you didn't listen last week. And if you didn't listen last week, you need to go back and listen to last week's. If you're just jumping into the really Nothing Is Wasted chat. community right now, like this is your first time ever, welcome. Some of that, you know, Chris, some, sometimes we, this like, it's like, oh, this is my first time. I just got referred to, and they have no idea what this is all about. We want to we welcome you. It's awesome to have you here. Thanks for tuning in. This has been such uh, an important podcast on my own healing journey. And so if you're just navigating just anything where you feel like the only one, this Mm. is the podcast to be on because it'll just, it'll continue to remind you there's others walking with you. So we're so glad, we're so glad you found it. I love that. I think that's interesting, Carissa, that you've observed that because that's what I saw as things Mm. started to evolve. You know, when we started the podcast, it was like, well, let me talk to some folks who have gone through some really hard things and let them share yeah. their stories and I'm borrowing faith from them. And then as we met more and more people along the journey, we noticed there was a lot of different types of pain. And then what we yes. began to see is that people were saying, man, I feel seen, I feel heard, I feel understood because mm-hmm. of what someone else is walking. They're walking through the same thing that I'm walking through. And I think the enemy loves to tell us that we are the only person going through what we're going through. Yes, Absolutely. It's and pain is pain. Obviously, there's varying degrees of what that looks like. But and when I first started listening to the podcast in the very beginning, my story was not on this podcast. I didn't hear any like my story, but I still took so much comfort in just hearing people mm. navigate 
the unexpected, their worst wow. nightmare, whatever that was, which was me too. And so wow. even that alone, before the stories evolved into what happened to me, that that was comforting. That brought mm. me a lot of healing. Just just that. That's so good. That's so good. Now we have so many episodes and so many different pieces oh, yeah. of resources that we've started creating these things called curated pathways, which if mm. you've listened to our podcast, any number of, you know, episodes, you're, you're going to have heard this, whether through an ad or through us just talking about it, but it is our way of saying, okay, well, well let us kind of, you know, thumb through all of the different episodes and all the different resources and help yeah. you find topically what particular resources are going to speak to you. And so you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash pathways and get a taste of those curated pathways. There's starter pathways right there. Uh, sexual betrayal is one of those pathways that we have. Mm -hmm. Carissa, you and Cameron's story is yeah. featured there. Carissa is also our certified coach for sexual betrayal and infertility specifically. And um, and so that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on to share some of your coaching yeah. uh, experience and, you know, some how, how some of that stuff has been going for you. And Yeah. And well, so. it's all just so helpful to have all of this because even if this isn't your story right now or even if you don't relate to any of these stories, you'll meet someone who will. And yes. when our worst nightmare happens, I think for all of us, we end up. Googling, how do I handle right. this? Who do I call? I don't even know what to do. I, literally, that was me. I was on YouTube right. searching videos about what was happening to me because I didn't know where to go. Now, yeah. there's so much more out there and so much of it is right here. And I just, I love that this is such a great place. And then adding in coaching and people to literally walk you through this. That's just an amazing healing tool yeah. that we have yeah. here. Well, it's, it's been really cool to see what God's been doing in this. Um, we're going to talk some more about your experience in coaching and how that's been going for you and and hopefully encourage people to get connected to you, get, yeah. get connected to our coaching as well on the, on the back end of this. But I want to introduce you guys to our guest, and I want to apologize. Oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. Sometimes you just stick your foot in your mouth, guys, as the host of a podcast, and you just have to own it. Last week, I was pitching this episode, and I and – I, I, I said Jilliana Goebel, I think is what I said. And I'm so that is not that is not her first. That's not how you pronounce her first name. So Jelana, I'm I apologize. I'm so sorry. It is Jelana Goebel. And she is an incredible guest and wonderful conversation. Such that a we great had. interview. She, Opened my mind to so many aspects yes. of the adoption and foster world. Yes. And I even know. as a parent who's right. not currently adopting or fostering, there was so many things I took away right. from this. Yeah, there's like overarching parental principles yeah. here within this. But then also, if you have been walking that journey of fostering, adoption, you know that there's so much trauma that can often accompany that, and it can be very difficult to navigate. And Jelana does a phenomenal job of mm -hmm. helping us parse that out, walk through that. She's just released a book called A Love Stretched Life, which even the title of that book is a really— So good. Such a full concept to think about that like oh, yeah. you are sacrificially choosing to love someone, invite them into your life for immediate and inevitable disruption. Like it's inevitably mm -hmm. going to disrupt your life, but you're saying, no, I'm sacrificing. And that's what love is. It's sacrificial. I'm doing this. It's going to, it's going to stretch me, yeah. but it's going to stretch me in all the good ways. Yes. Right? Yes. I think we all relate to that term yes. on some level. So, yes. so good. It's so good. So uh, without further ado, I want you guys to take a listen to my conversation with Jelana Goble. 
Well, Jelana, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I just discovered that you woke up super early to have this conversation with us because you're in a completely different time zone. And I am so grateful that you woke up and that you are, I mean, I would have never guessed it. I would have thought you were way ahead of us oh, time-wise because you're, you're fresh and you're vibrant and you're excited and full of oh, life man. this morning. Oh, man. You know when you like set your alarm early for like a flight or something and then you wake yep. up multiple times in the middle of the night because you're like, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to yep. miss it. So that was, that was me last night. I do that all the time. So, and then you get done with whatever thing that you had to wake up for and you are just gassed. You're like, oh, I'm exhausted. I need. <laughs> it's going to be worth it. So oh, worth it to have it a conversation. This is going to be worth it. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I would love for our listeners, one, to just get to know you a little bit. So why don't you tell us right now what, what life is like? Where are you located? What do you guys do? And then we'll dive back into your story because your journey has been quite a unique one. So I've been married to my best friend, Luke, for 22 years. There are five children who call me mom, three of whom have come into my life via the foster care system. Um, all three of my boys actually have have entered my life via foster care, two of whom are officially adopted, one of whom, interestingly, we had the privilege of fostering when he was a little boy. We were 25, Davey, ripe old age oh of 25 goodness. with like zero oh. parenting experience. So like wow. what could ever go wrong, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, Fostering's and so, an easy way to, to right. ease into parenting, I mean, just, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, I, I, I tease that it's like the helicopter drop in the middle of the ocean. You know, there's no oh, like yeah. easing into the shallow end here. But yep. anyway, um, he is now 25. We His name is Royal. We connected when he was 19. Mm. So I still include him as one of mine, even though we have no legal connection. It is not lost on me that when he was placed with Luke and I at six years old, he did not have a choice. But as a 19-year-old young man, he absolutely has a choice. And so it has been a wild and whirly journey of, of you know, reconnecting with him over the last five years. So um, we live in Portland, Oregon. We have two biological daughters who are 18 and 15, and then two boys who are not related to one another who are 14 and 11. Um, wow. Yeah, we've, wow. we uh, have lived in Oregon for 15 years and I made what I thought was going to be a purely introductory call to the Oregon Department of Human Services Child Welfare to say, hey, we just moved from Buffalo, New York, where we're still certified. I'm just gathering information. You know those phone calls you make yeah. where you're oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm just going to like jot down a few notes and like file it away somewhere and maybe in a year yeah. or so I'll come back and I'll be ready to engage. <laughs> and, you know, a week later they were bringing in this um, six-month-old baby boy oh. to us. And so um, he is now my 14-year-old son. A lot of my wow. book, The Love Stretch Life, is really about engaging in a uh, a 13 and a half year relationship wow. with Micah's beautiful first mom, Jennifer, that has been an yeah. absolute transformational relationship sure. in my life that God has invited me to really experience kinship with someone that I never um, yeah. thought that I would have the privilege of, en of engaging with. And really through foster care, through adoption, through proximity to people whose stories are so different from my own, I have mm. seen God in fresh ways. And I've wow. recognized that from a distance, things can look pretty neat and tidy, pretty black and yeah. white. Um, yeah. And it's it's humbled me because there have been many times over the last you know decade and a half where I really believe that I know clearly like what I'm seeing. And then I get up close and personal and I have to realize, 
oh, I had no idea. Like there's so much nuance here. There's so much heartache here. There's so many things I have never experienced. Um, So I, I, you know, I say that foster care has kind of been my personal invitation to like heartbreak and suffering in a lot of ways, because I think Mm. whenever you raise your hand to say, I would like to welcome in a child whose life has gone so terribly awry that a state would that the state would have to come in and function, yeah. you know, as their guardian. Um, I think I I oversimplified it, Davy, like 20 yeah. years ago. You know, I'm 45 yeah. now. Yeah. Like we started, we started a long time ago. Um, and uh, you know, the fact that we started foster care before we had biological children really um, has been super super yeah. informative. Something um, wow. I don't often share, but I, I want to share with you. It's it, I talk about it a little bit in my book is just, you know, how our own early experiences shape yeah. us. Like we know that in relation to trauma. Yep. And I think sometimes for those of us that are walking into foster care and adoption, we have trauma from like an other lens, you know, like mm. your trauma. And I think it really invites us to engage our own trauma. And for me, mm. um, you know, part of part of my story is that uh, as you know, the goal of foster care is to reunite kids mm-hmm. safely when possible with their biological family. And I really underestimated the toll that that would take on me seeing my yeah. biological daughters say, hey, where are you going with my brother? Which we had never even used mm. that term. They just bestowed that family term on this baby that had been wow. placed with us. Um. And it just brought back so many memories of when I was six years old saying, hey, where are you going with my brother? And it was that my parents mm. um, engaged after they had me. They just engaged a, um, a a long battle with infertility, which, of course, when I was a little girl, I could not understand or appreciate. I just was like, why is your tummy like round like my friend's mom's, you know, yeah. um, and my mom has now told me she's just cried a lot of, you know, quiet, salty tears on her pillowcase over mm. over that the, that season. But we eventually, with all the adoption books, we were eventually chosen. And I just remember just the elation of like being chosen and having this baby boy placed with us. And I remember yeah. like sleeping in his room and having my, you know, oh. crayon taped up drawings, like professing my love for him on, um, <laughs> on all over the wall. And then I, I distinctly remember the phone call that my mom got at the 11th hour saying that the mom had changed her mind and she wanted him back. And, and mm. remember, you know, the lawyer showing up at our house with, with her and, and, um, and, and then it was gone and then it was over with. Wow. And, um, you know, it's interesting because my parents said, we thought that that experience would ruin you. Like this was the thing that you wanted more than anything. Mm. It was given to you. And then it was taken from you as a child. Um, But I really do believe somewhere deep in there that, that, that experience um, did help shape my journey of going into foster care and adoption. And what's really, really wild, Davey, is that, you know, we were told you know, that that um, that this baby and his mom were going to go, you know, someplace far, far away. And it turns out that he lived in the community that was just 20 minutes from me my whole life, which makes me think, wow. was I ever standing next to him in the grocery store? You know, all those things. And so when he was 
18. Um, and again, there was just a break. Like he, you know, he came, yeah. they picked him up. There was, there was, there was no contact, but we did Jeez. still remember his name. And, um, around 22 years ago, there was a like late breaking news story of two teens that had broken into a home in search of presumably in search of, um, drugs and things went awry. And one of the teens, um, shot himself and it was the name of this baby that was placed with us. And so it really, so we had the privilege of like attending the funeral and seeing that so many of the photos that his biological mom, you know, had of him were photos that my family had taken of him and given to him, you know, of his, of his beginning start. And so, um, wow. You know, I want to be, I want to be very clear. Like I am so, I I recognize this is complicated. I'm not ever once blaming, you know, that mom for changing her mind. That was, uh, was well within her right to do, but I'm just speaking from a child that experienced that side of it. And then, and then being left with kind of these, these questions that almost feel like they're kites in the sky, right? Of like, well, hey God, like if that child had been raised in our family, would he still have been in that house that day with that gun searching for those things? You know, and these are just, I think, ways that we have to just hold the tension and embrace or battle the mystery, right? Right. Right. Because those are unanswerable questions. Absolutely. Man, I mean, Jelana, you've already said so many things that like, I'm, I'm, I'm over here writing some notes because I want to unpack these things. I mean, you, you just kind of stated it again right there that there's so much nuance yeah. that often we enter into life if we haven't experienced a whole lot of trauma or pain and suffering. You know, there's so many people who are listening to this. You have experienced a lot yeah. of pain and suffering. And so you probably have this lens almost from the outset, as long as you can remember, you have a lens of nuance mm-hmm. where things aren't as black and white or binary or, or as... Uh, um, uh, neatly packaged mm-hmm. as what, you know, some of us, I, I didn't have really hardly any childhood trauma, you know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until the, the tragedy happened in my life in 2015 of losing my wife that I started seeing a lot more nuance and gray and at the same time seeing Jesus in those spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Things that used to seem very binary to me, very black and white, very either or, no longer seemed either or. It seemed yeah. very messy, and yeah. and and beautiful and yeah. you know all of those things combined and it's very hard to reconcile those things and I, and I know I mean as you're ex- describing your experience right there with fostering and then these questions that are arising of what if he had stayed placed in our home what if this hadn't you know would this could this have changed the chain of events that ensued in his life you know and answers that you'll never know the you know questions you'll never have the answer to that's a very difficult thing to wrestle with yeah and I, yeah, and I want to be clear, you know, this was uh, for me, this was kind of the one mar on like a really um, pretty delightful childhood. And so, yeah. you know, I think for me, I still had some of what you have experienced, you know, right. with kind of the messiness. I still had a little bit of a messiness shock because still, you know, in my right. childhood seven to eight year old brain, this is very different than than beginning to hear my daughter point her pudgy little toddler finger and be like, where are you taking my brother? I had no idea that that would bring back that flood of memories. I thought that was just in the past. That's in the past, you know? And so I think, um, I I think one of the things that's been really interesting to me is just, uh, I think I've for a long time, Davey really underestimated like how God has created our bodies to actually store things. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I think I kind of was like, <laughs> right. well, you know, not that I would ever say we're like a bobblehead and a brain and this is, you know, yeah. on, honestly, but like, I think that that has been one of the main things that I've been invited mm. to um, just, just realize I've been late to the game yeah, with that. Right. Reconsider that. And I think, you know, parenting my precious Charlie, who I know we'll talk about in a second, that has fetal alcohol syndrome, it has certainly invited me to try to integrate things that I thought before were a little bit more, more separated. Yeah. Um, wow. Just in terms of like wow. the daily fight or flight or the anxiety or the depression or whatever it is yep. that we're, we're feeling sometimes all of those at once, sometimes all of those in, right. in, in an hour, right. Um, right. Uh, that, that our body does like the way God created us is not as, you know, uh, we have finite capacity, right? We don't have yeah. infinite capacity to just absorb all of it, right. even right. with the Lord's help. We, we, and we still... can't, even, you know, we can't hold all of those things in our conscious, conscious yeah. mind. There's so much that gets stored in our subconscious, yeah. and that's the way God created our bodies to work. You know, yeah. one for survival, right? And 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 then two for us to be able to, uh, for things to be brought to the forefront when they need to be brought to the forefront. Yes. And that's what I love about what you said right there when you're when you're when your toddler was like, "Hey, what are you doing with my brother? Where are you going with my brother?" Right there, you know, this is this is probably something that I've seen as more uh, a universal principle than what many would think. And that is that God will take us into these experiential situations mm -hmm. that cause the the old memories or yeah. latent trauma that we haven't really dealt with cause those things to arise. And yeah. so sometimes we think it even dealing with trauma can be so, should be so neat and tidy, especially in Christian circles. Well, I had this experience. And so I, I go to see a counselor and that's not often how God invites us into healing. Mm -hmm. A lot of times God invites us into healing by causing other things to arise, like yeah. difficult, painful, almost negative situations, tense situations that draw back to those early childhood traumas. And then and then he kind of rewrites those yeah. as we're experiencing them. Yeah. And I, I think that's it sounds to me that's a little bit of what God was doing right there in in your experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know. You mentioned in Christian circles, I think so oftentimes, and that's what I love about the Nothing is Wasted podcast, is that so oftentimes in Christian circles, we wait to talk about what is messy until it's a little tidier, maybe more yeah, palatable right. for others. And we can right. like wrap this like beautiful bow called God's faithfulness mm. around it because we want to share about the hard stuff. And then in the next breath, talk about the blue sunny skies, because that's what other yep. people are wanting. That's as believers, yeah. that's like what, wow. and I just, we have to, I think we have to pitch that, that formulaic uh, piece out the window to just say, you know, there may never be a bow to tie yep. around this. What does it look like to be walking on a long, gravelly, windy road? What does it look mm. to pick? What does it look like to pick up, you know, a pebble that, mm says hope and to just hold that in my hand um and to know wow. that this might be as, as close as i get to a to a bow it's just holding wow. this just trying to see it you know hey nothing is wasted family i wanted to interrupt this conversation for a brief moment to let you know about a powerful resource that we have available for you it's called the pain to purpose course now, i know many of you guys have heard of this but in case you're new and you haven't heard of this i wanted to make sure that you were in the know about this. Now, listen, if you were to ask me this one question, Davey, what's the most important nothing is wasted resource that I should engage with? 
I would tell you, hands down, the Pain to Purpose course is it. Thousands of people now have found tremendous healing and breakthrough in their valley by walking through this course. Now, it's emotionally and spiritually intense, but I promise you, it's well worth it. The Pain to Purpose course is an 11-video online course where I'll help you do four major things. Okay, the first one is this. I'll help you remove the debris of crisis in your life. So like trauma, tragedy, major life transition. The second thing is I'll guide you through the steps of repairing the emotional, relational, and spiritual broken pieces that were left in the wake of your trauma. Third, I'm gonna lay out for you how to reestablish a firm foundation for a healthy and whole life. And finally, I'll help you discover and step into the missional and redemptive purposes God has for you out of your trauma. Over the past several years of hosting this podcast, I've noticed some things. No one's pain journey is the same. However, there are some common denominators that every pain to purpose story shares. And there are some common things that everyone who goes from tragedy to triumph have to do. So my team and I took those common denominators and we distilled them into an 11 video curriculum to give you the handles, or as we call them, waypoints that you'll need in order to walk through your unique pain journey. This course is essentially an entire year's worth of counseling condensed into 11 videos and the fraction of the cost of counseling. I believe counseling is, is very important to your healing journey. If the Pain to Purpose course had existed back when I lost my wife in 2015, I still would have sought counseling, but I wouldn't have had to have spent so much time or money with that counselor because I would have been light years ahead of things just from taking the Pain to Purpose course. So I'd love to invite you to begin accessing the course today. You can go to course.nothingiswasted.com to do that. Again, that's course.nothingiswasted.com. And as a little bonus, I convinced my team to let me give you a discount. So right now, for a limited time, you can get $25 off the purchase of the course by using the promo code podcast at checkout. So again, that, that promo code is podcast. Maybe the course isn't something that you need right now, but you do have an option to purchase it as a gift for someone in your life who does need it right now. So just make sure you select the gift certificate option while you're purchasing that. So again, that's course.nothingiswasted.com and use the code podcast to get $25 off. Okay. Why don't you give us a little bit of context? Just, I mean, uh, so we can wrap our heads around a little bit of your, of, of your journey. Um, how did you get into the fostering? When did you get in? I know you said 25 years old. So kind of give us a little bit of the timeline and maybe tell us how many kids you have fostered, you know, just let, let's walk down the journey a little bit, because I know we definitely want to talk a little bit about your son that you just mentioned that you guys have raised for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. So at 25, we welcomed Royal. We had him for a year. Um, we, we had accepted multiple kids on a short-term basis. We moved to Oregon 15 years ago. That's where I was invited to start this 13 and a half year relationship and counting with our now adopted 14 year olds, first mom, um, who's been super influential in my life. Um, and, uh, we've had the, the, the messy, messy, messy privilege of adopting one of her children and then actually fostering and court ordered returning her next child to them. So we had two brothers. Wow. Um, so we are two 
two moms in the same city that are raising two full biological brothers about two miles apart. So, I mean, there's a whole lot to unpack right there. Um, That's unheard of. That's (laughs) crazy. That I've never, I mean, I've, it's crazy. I know I haven't lived very long, but I've never heard anything like that before. It's it's pretty, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. And we've gone through a ton of ups and downs and kind of experienced, honestly, every emotion under the sun with and toward one another, but it has been such a, um, such an invitation for me Mm. to experience more of God and to, to just experience uh, his closeness and his presence and the fact that he's like with me no matter what, even wow. in the midst of of the unexpected. Really, the unexpected was when we we thought we were good, honestly, with, with three children. Yeah. We had our two biological daughters. We had just adopted um, our 14-year-old. And then we got a call, Davey, and it, we weren't even on the list to get a call. But there is just a crisis shortage of foster homes in so many communities, including ours. And um, they just said, hey, we know you're not on the list to receive foster placements, but there's a little baby born at the hospital right down the road mm. from you. And we are wondering if you can pick him up and care for him, quote, for the weekend. <laughs> and so, you know, the conversations one has with their with their spouse about like making yeah. a lifelong commitment versus can you do something for 48 hours or two totally different different. conversations. In fact, my husband, who's not like a big video game player at all, but he happened to be next door at our neighbors playing NBA Jam. And I literally had the gal (laughs) on the phone and I was like, hey, babe, can we take a baby just for the weekend? And he was like, sure. I mean, the amount of thought that we put into (laughs) the background here, he's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, Uh, you're getting the picture here. This isn't like a thoughtful, prayerful, you know, like this is, um, but you know, we we went to this. We went to the hospital, and we were handed this just adorable um, little boy, and um, and mm. we were privileged to 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 take him home just for the weekend. And then when that weekend was up, the agency said, "Gosh, we are really trying to locate some relatives. Can you hold on for just a little bit longer? Because that is usually the goal is that they're you know searching right. for biological family members." And we were like. Yeah, we didn't need a ton of convincing um, to just, you know, have our arms twisted to keep on caring for him ourselves. And that happened repeatedly for several um, months. And then it just kind of felt like, okay, well, we're a family of we're a family of six now. Um, And so we adopted Charlie at two. And, you know, looking back, Davey, there are signs, you know, you can looking back, I think it was a, a very much an invitation for me to go with my with my parental gut, um, you know, having parented kids that had come from a background of abuse and trauma, I still felt like there was something a little off. He never, ever slept. He was late mm. to crawl and walk and, and talk and get his teeth and all of those things. But, you know, there is a very big continuum of what kind of falls into like global right. developmental delays. And most right. professionals have a very cautious, like, let's wait and see approach. So I kind of hung with yeah. that, like, let's wait and see. But approaching four years old, it was like, you know, I I know we don't, I want to hold a lot of space that uh, we don't, we didn't know the conditions of, um, of his, his biological mother's like pregnancy experience with not a whole lot was known about her. And yet there is, there is more going on that than met the eye. And so it wasn't until I did a deep dive myself. I felt like I was this detective with this magnifying Mm. glass, like searching for clues. 
And I read a specific book about fetal alcohol, the bullet points, and man, Davey, he just like hit every single one. Wow. And initially there was almost some relief, almost some of like, hey, I've solved mm, the mystery. We have some I've solved answers, the mystery. Yeah. yeah, we have some answers. Right. We we have a thing. We can, we can, we have a name. Um right. and the prognosis is, you know, better for kids that uh where where there's that, you know, where we can name it earlier. Right. But it wasn't long after that when I'm starting to read about lifelong, irreversible brain damage. Yeah. Um, you know, it is one of the most preventable causes of intellectual disability in the world. Right. Um, and I think what's so challenging is that kids, people look typical. And so we're going yeah. on their behaviors. And right. it's really, really hard when we don't know the conditions that kids have, right. have experienced um, to think, well, this is just trauma. And that could mm. be part of it. But we're also, we need to have a clear interpretation of what we're seeing to guide our intervention. And the reality is yeah. fetal alcohol syndrome is brain damage. And as right. much as we can accommodate and as much as individuals with fetal alcohol can be smart and creative and funny and loving. There's also a whole lot of other right. things that often have them presenting as a very prickly porcupine. Um, that's, right. that can be really, really tough. And that's a huge right. underestimation. Yeah. Now, how's that, how's that been for you guys? I mean, try to paint a picture for me because there's, uh, from what I understand, and, and I know I talked to you a little bit, we have some friends who have a a son with fetal alcohol syndrome as well. And there's like the internal battle and within your home. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's also the external battle. So like, you know, struggles with, you know, all the external decisions, you know, education, uh, when you're, when you're trying to, whether it's, you know, trying to travel or you're with other people or, you know, there's, there's a lot of complications and I know it's, it's, I'm sure it's a continuum, right? Like yeah. fetal alcohol syndrome will present itself differently in different mm -hmm. cases. There's not like a, you know, one, one track type sure. description for it. Right. But right. for you guys, can you talk to me a little bit about the struggle internally within your home as you guys are, have been, have been raising him and you've been experiencing this and then what's it like? And I, I guess I asked this question because I was uneducated about it until our friends, yeah. you know, really have informed us and it's like, oh my gosh, wow, man. And so you, you have a lot more empathy mm -hmm. than, you know, for both, for both the, the child that's suffering with that and the families, um, mm -hmm. surrounding him. Mm -hmm. And so kind of paint a picture for us so that our listeners can clue in. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that it is a spectrum disorder. It's called fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and actual fetal yeah. alcohol syndrome is at the more severe impacted, um, you know, part of the continuum. Um, you know, it looks different for every individual. It's, um, you know, it really depends on kind of how long that the baby was exposed to alcohol in utero and the frequency of drinking. But I mean, this much remains like we know that there's no amount of alcohol that's that's safe to drink at all. Um, it depends on, you know, the mother's prenatal nutrition. I mean, it just depends on all of these factors. Right. But, um, you know, in our particular case uh, and in a lot of cases with with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, uh, individuals function developmentally much less than their chronological age. So for example, my son is 11 and take what you would, you know, think of most five 
five, six-year-olds kind of operating at. And that is the level at which he needs support. Um, There's a, there's a kind of a mishmash of different skills, which makes life really confusing. I think for him and for the rest of us, because it it would almost be easier, Davey, if everything was, was chronically low developmentally or medium or high, but it's this weird spike of like, wow, he can put together amazing Lego creations. So creative but he is completely taxed by writing his name because he doesn't have the rote memorization of how to form letters. You know, wow. you wouldn't think that those wow. things would go together. He can, right. he can read, but he cannot spell more than the first um, consonant of, of the letter. Yeah. And so there's just this kind of cruel combination. And one of the specialists that I saw uh, shared with me that oftentimes individuals with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder process everyday conversations the way you and I would when when there's a crackly phone com- connection and we can kind of like hang with what the person's saying but mm. we're not getting every single word it's not crystal clear but we're kind of getting the gist but we can we can miss things and that gotcha. is often how um my son experiences everyday conversations which means wow. He can seemingly hang and we're like, we're good, right? We're on the same page yep. Um, yep. until until there's something that's missed. And then there's a volcano of, yeah. um, you know, of, of explosion, of, of exasperation, which right. I would be exasperated too. Um, you know, like I said before, I think what's hard is that except in a rare amount of very small cases, are there facial indications of in utero alcohol exposure? And so we're really looking at an invisible brain-based disability. And because we can't, you know, open up somebody's head and peer into their brain to say, is it looking typical in here or not? We are just going with how people present on the outside. And so it's a wow. it's a pretty cruel combination to have somebody that struggles with brain differences and can be, like I said before, I really want to, to be sure that I'm, I'm not painting this all as doom and gloom. Individuals with fetal alcohol can be loving and creative and funny and have a lot to offer. And also that usually comes with, you know, anger, explosion, aggression, um, perseveration, which is like hyper-focused thinking where like a, 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 a thought is on a train track and you just can't get off that train track until you're kind of all at the mercy of buckling up on the train until that individual loses steam with like what that thought was. But that is a very hard way to live because it feels like you don't have control. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, talk to, you know, and and maybe, maybe we can talk about this particular like fetal alcohol syndrome myopically, but maybe we can also zoom out and talk about fostering in general. What, where does grief play into all of this? Mm -hmm. You know, for, for you guys, does it feel like you even have time and space to be able to kind of process through the, or is it like you're feeling like it's survival all the time? Where have you, what have you learned about grief and in, in the hardship of, of fostering, particularly in this kind of a situation? Well, I'll zoom out and kind of talk about fostering and then I'll like zoom back into our specific yeah. conversation. I think what I have personally learned is that grief and loss is what lands kids in the foster care situation to begin Mm. with. No child ends up in foster care for no reason. So there's already been so much grief and so much loss interwoven into their story. So I should not be surprised when grief and loss continues to be part of the narrative. 
And I think so often, Davey, we as Christians believe that if we have the perfect concoction, like there's some secret formula, Mm. if we, if we can believe that there's the right amount of like love, structure, nurture, discipline, sprinkle in some Jesus, this equals clean slate. Wow. And that's what we want Mm. to believe. We want to believe, you know, that, and, and the reality is to be clear, that does happen. And I celebrate every single time that I see a family that's just really thriving. And what is also true, what we also have to hold the tension with is that oftentimes that is not the story. And so where is Mm. God? Where do we, how do we receive this when we are living a narrative where grief and loss continues to be interwoven into the story, which has been there since the start of whatever led them to be in foster care. So that's kind of the larger piece that I've uh, taken away Jelana, before you zoom in, I, I just want to note this because I think this is really uh, there's a very profound concept that you just unpacked right there that so often we kind of come into situations as believers with this like savior complex, right? Mm-hmm. That says like, well, we have the answer, right? The, the gospel is going to be the answer to, to um, remedy this child's situation yeah. and their entire story. And so we begin to think that those are mutually exclusive concepts that you know, where Jesus exists, there can't be this like hardship and grief and and trauma that's continuing to reside. Like it's going to fix it all. Right. Yeah. And that, that can easily, I don't know, I don't even know why, but I'm just having this like realization, but that tends to be our mindset as we approach things. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not necessarily true is what you're saying, right? There, there is so much mess where Jesus also exists. In yeah. fact, that's kind of where he exists. He ends up showing himself even more. We see the mysteries yeah. of who he is even more in the middle of the mess, and it doesn't resolve itself typically. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, so often I think uh, we can see parenthood as reflecting on us, right? Like we want to mm. believe that like input equals output, but right. really stepping into foster care and adoption, it is really an invitation to say, my input may be this. And if the output's this, I rejoice, praise God. But my input may be this and my output may look like this. And there will be others that will look at me, um, that will look at me, honestly, uh, the way that I think I had an internal monologue going in my brain, Davey, before Mm. the privilege of parenting, to say, wow, look at how that kid's behaving. I would never have said that out loud ever in a million years. But internally, you look at the kids that's struggling, that's like maybe flailing, that's cursing, that's trying to, you know, hit their parents or or whatever. And you go, I wonder what is or is not happening in that household to have a child that is behaving like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that's so, such an invitation for the rest of the the community, but the church in particular to to wrap support around parents Mm. to say, I see you and I recognize that you are dealing with probably more than you thought that you would be engaging. And I think, um, I think there's a protective grace sometimes with that, that we don't know that we can't look down the road. Right. Because for so many of us that are where we are right now, we would say, well, I would never want to go down that road. I wouldn't choose that. Because who would sign up for this? Right. Exactly. Um, you know, I think in my own story, uh, with, with our, sweet son. I think I have just come to grips with, you know, the stages of grief are different because there no death has occurred in our family, but there is, there is a, we are on a life altering path, um, a a life altering path. That's going to require a heavy dose of interdependence 
And it has invited me to, to, to think about the beauty of interdependence. I think we just value self-sufficiency. You know, we prize that so much in the community and in the church too, you know, like, can you do it on your own? Um, And the reality is we have a child that is always going to need um, some pretty heavy, heavy interdependence. And so the stages of grief, um, the swirl, it's not really been stages for me, but it's looked like bargaining. It's looked like seeking control, seeking solutions, um, feeling depression, feeling isolation, and then kind of coming to an active acceptance and integration and then and then you know doing that again and then all of that over all over and then all of that over again all of that over again yeah wow wow hey friend i know if you're listening to this podcast and you've gotten connected with nothing it's wasted ministries chances are you're either currently walking through or you have walked through a season of suffering during that season instead of feeling god's presence really profoundly as many people have told you that you could, or you've read in God's word that you should, you're instead feeling his absence. Uh, I wonder if you feel like God is silent when you're hurting the most. I can tell you this, you're absolutely not alone. Many people have walked through their darkest moments and wondered, where are you, God? I mean, even people in scripture from David to Job, Elijah to even Jesus on the cross. You see, pain can make you feel totally isolated when you need to feel the nearness of God more than ever. So what do you do in these seasons of silence? And and what do these seasons mean? What could God be up to in the moments where he seems quiet? Well, on February 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern time, we're gonna be hosting our next masterclass to answer just that question. And that masterclass is called God's Silence in Our Suffering. Seeing him move when you can't hear his voice. Our very own staff member of Nothing Is Wasted and certified coach, Catherine Fitzgerald. In fact, she is our content producer. So she is over everything that you hear on the podcast, all of our content. I promise you, she shared with me over our team retreat back in November, some stuff that God has been teaching her in the silence of suffering. And I'm telling you, you do not want to miss this. In this upcoming masterclass, you're going to learn why God may seem silent in your pain, how to see God when you can't hear him, and what you need most in those seasons of silence, and so much more. Being a part of this live masterclass is completely free. All you have to do is sign up at nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. And then you'll receive an email on how to join that live call on February 16th. Listen, trauma and tragedy can make us feel alone, but when we don't feel the presence of God in our suffering, it can amplify those feelings. The truth is, God never leaves us. We we may have to find new ways to see and experience him, but he always remains in whatever we are walking through. And that's what we want to help you with in this next masterclass. So February 16th, 8 p.m. Eastern time, go to register for this free live masterclass with Catherine Fitzgerald, nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. So, you know, I mean, it sounds like you guys, when when you stepped into this, obviously you didn't know about his condition. And so, would you say that it, it would it be fair to say that you you went into this fostering journey 
particularly with him thinking, okay, we're going to do this for a season. And at some point, just like what I would deem as a, a you know, normal uh, parenting experience, at some point we're going to be empty nesters and we're going to, yeah. we will have done a valiant thing to raise these kids and foster these kids. Was that somewhat the mindset going into all of this? You know, I think, I think that we had been in, in foster care enough time to kind of lose a little bit of the rescue lens, which was okay. which is a gift to us, you know, to recognize yeah. like really it is about the witness. It is about the relationship. It is about, okay. you know, where there is love, God breaks in, you know, like, so I feel, but even with all of that said, I didn't know about fetal alcohol. Mm. I really didn't. I didn't go in as we, you know, cradled that baby at the hospital right. who looks so typical. I didn't go in thinking, wow, this is a lifelong commitment here for yeah. a child that is going to, you know, turn our lives upside down. Um, wow. And and so mm. there, there, there's just been a lot that's come with that. But also, I have to say, there is a bit of an inverted gift with Charlie because Davey it's, it's invited me to experience. um, It's invited me to see things that before with my other three children, I would have mistaken for a low level behavioral expectation. So Mm. now we're celebrating like you didn't swear on the bus. That's amazing. You stayed buckled in your ride to target. That's amazing. You know, like all these things that before would have been like, I'm not even going to say anything because that is like the, the, that's just what we do, you know? Um, And so now we're at the point where like all of the kind of, that's what we do is taken off the table where we are able to see. Um, But it is, it's a profoundly different lens to be celebrating, um, to be celebrating things that I just never thought would be a a celebration. And there is an invitation in that, but a lot of it is an invitation to slow down um, which I'm not naturally good at, um, mm. to just be able to like catch it and see it and celebrate it because the reality yeah. is we do not have good days and bad days. Our days are a constant intermingling of both. Right. And there's right. so much, I just feel like I'm surfing this wave of unpredictability every mm. moment of the day. And that can cause us, that can cause me to walk on eggshells, right? And so it's mm. this weird kind of balance where I don't want to ever say that I've hitched the wagon of my well-being to a child who struggles with mental right. wellness, who 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 struggles greatly. And yet it's undeniable that how he's doing affects me and the rest of our family. Yeah. yeah. Right. Wow, man. So uh, I'm curious what your conversations with the Lord have been over this journey. Have there been some particular, you know, notable, really dark, deep conversations and maybe some notable like revelations that God has brought you to that's like paradigm shifting for you. I mean, what, what, I, I feel like that that's, you know, especially in some something like what you guys are experiencing, there's got to be some major wrestling that you've done mm-hmm. with the Lord on this. I know you said, said bargaining mm-hmm. earlier, but take me into that a little bit. Um, and, and help us understand kind of what where where the Lord has met you in all of this. Um, 
I remember attending a parenting conference not too long ago. I think I just, you know, I'm a learner. So I'm like sitting there front right. row with my journal right. open. Like what, what are the, drop it on me. Like what are the gems here that I need yeah. to know to like figure out my life, you know, to make yeah. it go a little smoother. And, and this particular speaker who it was at a Christian conference, she was very well-meaning of course, but she had, uh, she was having people repeat, like, you are enough, you know, turn to the person next to you, remind them like you mm. are enough. And, and really what I imagined her intent to be was basically like, we are not enough, but you know, God is with us. And he, right, he, right. but th- that was honestly kind of lost in the hollow hype. Awesome. Cause I just felt yeah. so lonely. I was like, I am not enough, you know? And I think what's so interesting too, Davey, is that in the foster care and adoption world, you have people, well-meaning people that say things all the time, like God gives special kids to special people, or God will never give you more than you can handle. I'm sure you, you know, and it's like, it feels so insulting because it's like, oh no, I have been given so much more than I can handle. And also God is with me in it. And honestly, the biggest, the biggest way that I have experienced that besides, you know, enrolling myself in study counseling and trying to have, you know, steady walks with a friend and journaling and all of those things is through others that have the I get it factor, through others yeah. whose whose life has gone awry and and kind of has the same common denominator of like, mm. this isn't anything I would have ever chosen. It has indelibly left a print on my life that will be there forever. Yeah. Um and here we are, you know, searching mm. for searching for God together. And so I really do have seen um, I really have seen through the body of Christ, like those that have lived this as well, um, kind of have become like our people and we're not wanting to close yeah. ourselves off. Like we have a lot of right, friends that right. where foster care and adoption is not any part of their story. And I think we, we need everyone, but, um, but certainly the, I get it factor of those that are also walking this road has been yeah. huge for us to just continue to feel like we've, we can keep on going. I never noticed the verse, despite growing up in church most of my life, of Psalm 56, 8, which says, you keep track Mm. of all my sorrows. You have um, collected my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your your book. And I'm like, that verse? Like, where was that verse? I'm sure I read it, but, you know, I'm sure I read it, but it just didn't stand out to me in Technicolor like it does now. Um, right. And I take comfort in in that in the image yeah. of God collecting my tears in a yeah. bottle and and recording these sorrows in His book. And to be clear, it's not all like doom and gloom and sorrowful, but joy does not come easy. We have to search for it. Wow, that's a really good statement right there, Jelana. That joy does not come easy. We have to search for it. I think a lot of times people throw up their hands and give up when joy isn't coming easy. And and I also think that that's probably the very nature of joy, isn't it? Right? That joy joy is not something that's just going to come easy. Um, and yet we want it to. Uh, we want it to so badly. Yeah. And I think we want, you know, there's just such an immediacy to, to everything. Yeah. And I think there's also an allure of wanting to to have it together, right? Like we're, we're in an Instagrammable yeah. world where, you know, right. people can kind of compare the squares of how their family looks to like, you know, their high, their other people's highlight yeah. reels compared to your like reality that looks a lot less glamorous. And I just think right. um, for those of us where 
where grief is a part of our story. We need to be really mindful of like what we're taking in because um, for me personally, that has been a, a recipe to just feel a little, a little down and I don't need any more, <laughs> any more of that. So I try to be really, really mindful. I actually have a 10 minute right. timer um, on Instagram and Facebook. And then it's just like, boop, you're yeah. done. <laughs> Because nice. I know that I need that, you know, and so yep. I think there are just some some things that I've learned the hard way, just like small practical yeah. things where I'm like, this is not life giving to me. Um, it's yeah. making me feel, um, it's just making me feel really different. And um, yeah. I know that there are other families like ours where, uh, you know, there there have been some major detours, and so, yeah. but it's hard to yeah. put a detour on an Instagram square, right? Yeah. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, speaking of that, I'm always curious to talk to folks who have fostered, adopted, blended, you know, we're a blended family. And so we've, we see it, you know, probably to a small degree of smaller than I feel like than what you guys are seeing it. But my perspective on what family looks like has certainly shifted mm -hmm. since we've blended our family and we've experienced loss and grief. And I'm, I'm curious as to how your perspective on family has changed, mm -hmm. um, given the journey that you guys have been on? You know, I would definitely say that my definition of family has widened. Um, walking, mm. you know, including our oldest royal in our in our last six years of reconnection, that has been a widening of family, including yeah. our 14-year-old's first mom and her other children around our, you know, table uh, uh, on a weekly basis. That has widened our family. Um, right. Certainly, uh Certainly the fact that what you see is not what you get, which we all know at some level, that's not like a rocket scientist statement right, right there. Right. But I think when you're parenting a child who looks typical, but um, has a brain, an invisible brain-based disability, um, that just invites you to, to see things differently. And so those are some of the ways right. that it's affected our family. Um, I would tell you that, you know, my older three teens, even my, you know, teen that comes from a background of trauma, but is still neurotypical. Um, they have an awareness that I never had at their age. Mm. They, they really do that, that like what wow. you're seeing on the surface, you know, like that internal monologue that I told you, I kind of struggled yeah. with before living it and, and saying, oh my gosh, that child is now my child. And I know what's been poured into him. Um, they, they've kind of dropped that from the beginning. And I think there's yeah. a real, there's a real beauty there, but I also don't want to like rosy this up. It's really hard. You know, I don't want to right. sugarcoat, like there's right. a toll on the whole family. Um, right. And so, yeah, we, we raised our hands and we said yes to this precious little guy for, for the weekend. Oh. And um, that is now a life, <laughs> that is now a lifelong commitment. Um, and I think there are, are days where I just almost feel like, well, there are days when that just feels so heavy and I just feel yeah. like, oh my gosh, I just, I feel like I know we're promised like new mercies every morning, but I'm still not over the like lingering dark cloud of what happened last mm. night to like wake up and be like, I'm here. I'm ready to embrace the new mercies. Right. You know, it's just, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. Um, And yet, and yet, and yet, I think it has invited us on a path that we would have never raised our hands to go down. And yet now we're here. We can't really envision not knowing what we know and not loving our son. We fiercely love our son, but we will always be liaisons for him. 
um, in a world that's that's a not kind and hospitable place when what you see on the surface is different than like what somebody's capability is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I was just thinking about this as you were talking that, you know, I grew up in a <clears throat> Christian home and all the Christian things and youth camp growing up and went to a Christian college and, you know, I wasn't in a bubble by any stretch of the imagination because I was, you know, an athlete. So I'm interacting with non-Christians all the time and stuff. However, the the path was set in my mind of I'm going to marry a Christian girl. We're going to have 2.4 kids and a dog and a white picket fence. Like that seemed to be the Western Christian right thing to do in your life. If your life speaks of that, then you're in, you're in right graces with God. Yeah. And then, you know, tragedy strikes and, and it fractures our family. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing in God's re- redemption and restoration is that there's that fracturing that, that nobody would really, des- you know, it's not like they're going, I want that. Yeah. My, I yeah. want a fractured, broken, yeah. grief-stricken family. Nobody would say that. Never. However, I love what you described right there, that your view of family has has widened, has broadened because of the the redemptive things that you guys are stepping into. And I would say that's very consistent with what I'm seeing and experiencing now too. I look at our kitchen table and I look at all the, the weird different like incongruent pieces of our family, you know, even extended family. And it's like, this is a really beautiful thing. And we would have never wished for or asked for the route or the journey that led us here. But I can't imagine not having this as well at the same time. Exactly. And that's what's so wild about God's plan in our life. And and it's so messy and beautiful and colorful and, and exhausting. Yeah. You're just like, what? <laughs> yeah. All what of is it. going like how, on here? Yeah. No, it's, it feels like it's this like kaleidoscope swirl. Yeah. And so I think kind of gone are the days of like a, a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, this is this is kind of like like you were talking about, like this is the yeah. path that is laid out before me and this is what a good Christian life looks like. And this is what it looks mm-hmm. like to be to be faithful and to have these things. And now we're just kind of in this um, kaleidoscope swirl and there's there's yeah. still goodness. It looks so different than anything we could have ever envisioned. And yet mm-hmm. there still is goodness, but we, we have to sometimes squint, I think, to search for it. Right. It's not just like plopped right. out before us, like, oh, isn't that beautiful? Like sometimes... So I think that's that's the work that we're called to is how do we yeah. how do we squint and see the hope? How do we squint and see the joy? Sometimes it's obvious, but a lot of times it's not. And so yeah. um, how can we be honest about our journey even with with God in the times where it's mm. it's not obvious? Mm. I, I want to talk a little bit about this new book, but before we dive into um that, I, I'd love to hear, you know, if there's someone who's listening to this and they have wrestled with a calling to fostering or adoption. Um, they feel it, they sense it. They're like, man, I feel like it, this is something that God wants for us, but they're afraid. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? I would say, do your homework on trauma and secondary trauma. And it's not a matter of if the going gets hard, it's a matter of when the going gets hard. I know I might sound like I'm a loving bubble burster right now, but I want people to go in <laughs> because I feel like the best thing, the most loving thing I can do is to say it's it's hard. And yeah. so, you know, um, 
and have community around you. Be surrounded yeah. with people that can uplift you in the journey. Those that are have have walked the road before you of foster care and adoption, and those that have not. Um, and, and so, you know, be prepared. Like there's there's a need. There's always a need. Um, but in order to not sink yourself and your own family entering into this road, you really need to do your to do your homework. And we can't ever anticipate, like we've just talked about, we can't anticipate the specifics of what's that going to look like. But no, it's, it's just because something's difficult does not mean it's not worthy. And so I think the, Mm. the, the world of foster care and adoption invites us to marry that. It's like so worthy (laughs) and it's so difficult and they both can be true. Um, and that's where we have to kind of shed the self-sufficiency and say, I need God more than ever. And I need community Mm. more than ever. So my biggest thing would say, don't go it alone. Wow. That's so good. I love that. Actually, you know, it's, it's funny. Like it's, if it's not, if it's not difficult, it almost doesn't seem worthy. Right. In a lot of ways, like it's not anything that's worth doing is going to be difficult, yeah. you know? And I love that, you know, in our mindset, we typically, like you said, we make those mutually exclusive concepts, but they're actually very married concepts. Or and we are going to find beauty in the difficult. You're going to yeah. find yeah, you're going to find worthiness in the difficult there. Right. Hmm. And I think so often as Christians, we think, what have I done wrong? You know, like this is right. hard. What have right. I done wrong? Like God, yep. like what, you know, and I think that that's just yeah. such a, again, that's one of the the beautiful invitations of this this road with so many things that I would have never chosen yeah. is, is really shedding that idea that like it is hard. Um, and like so I true. said, grief and loss are, are going to continue to be part of the journey. And then it doesn't mean that I somehow disappointed God or that I'm not right. following him. Um, the fact that things are so different than what I thought that they might look like. Yeah. I say, and I say jokingly sometimes that, you know, Psalm 23, four talks about, though I walk in the valley, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right. We all know that one, but I, you, Christian culture has for, for whatever reason, historically taught us to think that we visualize that we're walking on the mountaintop with God and then we slip and we fall into the valley and God's like up on the mountain going, well, you're going to have to get your way out of this one. You know, I'll be up right. here waiting for you when you, when you get out of this. And it's like right. some kind of punitive thing. Right. And that is not at all what the valley of the shadow of death is by any means. In fact, there are many times that God will lead us into the valley of the shadow of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they're actually path. Those are the paths of righteousness that verse three mm-hmm. is talking about the valley of the shadow of death. And so you're definitely walking that you've opened opened up a little bit of the book in this conversation, but I'd love to hear, you know, what, what your hopes are for this book, A Love Stretched Life. I love the title of that, by the way, my goodness, that's such a, uh, it's a very compelling title. It's very, it, it gives me a huge picture of what you're talking about there, but I'd love for you to just tell us what your hopes are for this as you, as, as you were pouring your heart into it, you're sharing some of your story. Um, and as it, as it goes out into the world. Yeah. You know, I think for me, I, I honestly, the fact that this has turned into a book is is so delightful for me, but it didn't start out that way, Davey. It really started mm. out with me trying to remember the details because as life mm. happens and life happens fast, I just felt like I was not recalling some of the ways that I felt and heard and saw God show up in my life. And I just wanted to like, yeah. reca- you know, recapture that. Um so that's kind of how it started. And then, you know, a long ways down the process, here it is, it's a book. Um, But really, you know, I think if I had like a thesis statement for the book, it's that proximity to people different from us change us. Mm. And there are some times that, you know, 
that God has come and it feels like it's this like beating of a drum, you know, like, oh, hey, it's here. It's so clear. Right. And then there are some times that God comes to us and it's just like a little whisper, you know, and you have to like lean yeah. in. And I just think through the the people and the places and the situations, through the three boys that have come into my family via foster care and adoption, through walking alongside my 14-year-old's, you know, first mom and, and seeing right her struggle and with, with addiction and what that has taught me about, mm. you know, how we all have to decide for today. I mean, it's not just for an addict that has to decide right. what is mine to do for today. You know, there's just so such a, such mm. a closeness, such a nearness, such a rawness with walking along someone who is daily giving it their all to stay clean and yeah. sober. I mean, that has taught me so much. Um, and then, you know, parenting a child with an, a brain-based disability, I feel like proximity um, to, to those different, um, has, has profoundly changed me and it has led wow. to this love stretch life. And so really a love stretch life is kind of, uh, talking from beginning to, to where we are now, but it's, it's certainly not a story that's wrapped up. Like we talked about, it's not yeah. a story that has a bow around it. It is a continual unfolding. It's a stretch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, it you know, I'm trying broadening to, and yes, exactly, this, exactly. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm trying not to live, live a love snapped life. Like I want it to be stretched. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Right? We just want to be so, stretched. We don't want this thing to break. We, like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Exactly. Wow. But in the stretching, that's where I found God, honestly. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And I think sometimes you, you know, in the stretching, you're surprised of your capacity to continue to stretch. Because it's not our capacity, right? Because it's, 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 it's not, you're not enough, Jelana. Right. I don't know if you know that. but <laughs> I do know that. Yeah. Right. It's, exactly. It is somehow he makes us more malleable. He makes us more flexible to be able to stretch and, and to, to bend into the, the different weavings of our life that he has um, set out for us. And um, we don't have the capacity for it, but by his spirit, we do. And uh, it's so evident on your life too, Jelana. It's so cool to just hear a little bit. I mean, I feel like we just got a little snapshot of your journey and I want to make sure everybody goes and picks up a love stretch life. We've got a link right there in the show notes for you guys to easily access it. But um, man, Jelana, thanks so much for spending time with us and sharing some of your journey, some of your story. Um, how can folks connect with you? How can they um, follow what you're doing? It's kind of funny to give out my Instagram right after saying how much. Right, exactly. My time limit. Um, but I, I am on Instagram and Facebook. I, I do yeah. check it, uh, though I monitor myself and at Jelana Gobel <laughs> and um jelanagobel.com is where people can connect with me. And I love I love connecting with, with folks. So thank you so much for having me on. It's been a joy and a privilege, and I just really respect what nothing is wasted is all about. And mm. Thank you. Thank you for what you do oh. and what you give born out well, of thank so much you. loss yourself as you're you yeah. know, coming alongside others as we all search for God in the midst of the mess. Oh, well, thanks, Jelana. Nothing is wasted wouldn't be very much if it wasn't for folks like you who are willing to come on and share their story and be vulnerable. So thank you so much for taking the time, waking up early over on the West My pleasure. Coast and spending time with us. It's been awesome to have this conversation. Thank you, Jelana. Great conversation. That was awesome. Yes. Yeah. Man. She said. I loved how many hey, times. Ahead. Oh, sorry. We both are right. like ready to go right We're in. ready to talk about it. Like, man. We are. This, 
So I good. loved how many times she said, and also, and yet, and mm. like the power of and. Mm. I just, I loved, she just did such a great job of embracing this is true and this is also true. And yeah. I'm living both of those things right now. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, it's just such a powerful concept. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, we can get ourselves in trouble just mentally, emotionally, socially, in a lot of different aspects if we stay too binary. If it's like mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. or this, you know? Yes. And there are yes. certainly some things in life that are black and white. I don't want to like yeah. be gray about everything, right? But I think that right. one of the things I've learned in terms of walking through the mysteries of of how God interacts in our stories is embracing the power of and. I totally agree. I found that so true in in my life and even on our journey of kind of recovering from our trial and our journey of everything that happened um, is how important it was for me to be able to embrace kind of the nuance of what yeah. was going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so much that's come from that so much healing that came from being able to hold tension of yeah. things and i think she even said that at one point right right it's so good she said this uh she said proximity to people different from us changes us mm. which is like so good so yeah, I good that. i mean that can inform so much about all of our lives and it doesn't just mean you know in the fostering adoption world but in so much of the the circles that we are um walking life in and circles that we're not walking life in, you know, the, the yeah. people that we're not accustomed to interacting with, or, I mean, I think that just, it, it broadens, you know, so much to remember that principle. Hey, if I'm around people that don't look, think, act, dress like me, mm -hmm. it's going to help me to understand a fuller picture of who God is, what this world is and yeah. appreciate other people and other cultures and other races and other ethnicities and other like across the board, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like so much of what she shared, even though she was talking more specifically about fostering and what foster kids, just everything that they have to wrestle with. She talks so much, brought so much attention to well, the impact of trauma and even just the, how hidden it is. Yeah, And there's so much that we don't see on the outside. And so even taking that into kind of all of our relationships and our own children, and there's just so many other factors of that, of what right. does that look like to see people with that lens? If we don't yeah. know what they're bringing in, we don't know what's going on under That's there. Right. How can we get curious about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like peeling yeah, back what's behind, what's behind that, right? We mentioned that in the last yeah. episode, like what is behind that? Yeah. And that is so imperative to helping others navigate through pain and trauma, being gracious with yourself and navigating through pain and trauma, right? <laughs> Which you kind of have to, you have to yeah. cultivate a discipline of doing that yourself first, as we mentioned last episode as well. Like mm. you've got to go, what's behind that feeling that I just had right now? Mm -hmm. And that can help you to form an empathy for others to go, hey, what's going on? What, what else is going on there? What else is behind this that I can get curious mm -hmm. about? and create a safe space for, for you in this. Krista, that's one of the things you guys do so yeah. well with coaching. You know, mm -hmm. you guys, that, that is really a major component of helping other people, you know, yeah. as you're helping them navigate these crises, these, you know, whatever you want to call it, 
this trauma, you're creating space for them to understand how to get curious about their own emotions, but also for mm-hmm. you to draw that out in them. And, and you're having mm-hmm. to practice that quite a bit. Um, I'd yes. love to hear just kind of some things that, you know, from you, what this coaching experience, what really has, um, what's been some things that have like maybe surprised you about it or you, wow, I didn't, I didn't see this mm-hmm. coming in good ways, maybe, maybe not so good ways, but what, tell me a little bit about this experience and help me understand like, okay, if I want to, if I want to do coaching, like, what does that mean? What, it, what exactly am I getting myself into? Yeah. Great questions. I mean, I've only been, um, a certified coach with nothing is wasted for the last year and been able to walk some ladies through some things this past year. Um, and now I'm getting ready to finish a, a different certification of just being a trauma recovery coach, um, more specific with trauma. And I think it's interesting. I got really nervous. Like I felt this pressure myself that, okay, if I'm going to coach them, I have to deliver this aha for them. Mm. I have to give them a light bulb. I have to like, almost like I have to do so many things for them. I have to, I have to change their life. Yeah, basically. Right. That's what it I felt. It feels like a lot of pressure. <laughs> it does. It did yeah. feel like a lot of pressure, but so much of what I've been learning through the training and even just the experience is so much of what coaching actually is is after going through trauma, trauma damages parts of us. It isolates us. Um, it, you know, we go into all these, our nervous system gets super activated and, and yeah. we just, we feel so alone. And so, so much of what trauma is actually about is just having a safe space to be able to get curious about our experience, about where we are, where we've been Mm. and what we're struggling with. And so for a lot of us who've been through trauma, trust is really hard. Mm. We're skeptical of people. Um, We don't know what's true, what's not true. Um, We're constantly on heightened alert, looking for danger, looking for, you know, especially if you've been through sexual betrayal and there's been a really damaged relationship and trust has been majorly violated. Um, And so, so much of kind of what we do in in the trauma recovery coaching is sort of rebuilding some of that in a safe place, sorting, sifting, um, and just going through going through those things. It's not so much about actually reliving the trauma Mm as it is sort of creating kind of a rewiring process around the yeah. trauma. What yeah. does it look like to sit here and get curious about it together? And it's it's like a mountain that we journey on together. Um, and in that, there's just a lot of powerful, thing ha- powerful things that happen that I feel like I get to just kind of sit and watch wow. and be a partner to, not something that I have to make happen at all. Yeah. They, yeah. they do that. They do the hard work. And it's, wow. it's such an incredible powerful, needed healing journey. Yeah. 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 And it's, um, it, it, it really kind of goes back to that idea of being a guide in a lot of ways. Yes. Right. Yes. You're, you're like, Hey, I'm no, very much. I, I'm not like postured here as some kind of guru or expert that's looking down my nose at you. This is like, mm-hmm. I'm, I've been there. I've mm-hmm. been where you're at and I have some tools in my tool belt that I want to, I want to share with you and yes. and I want you to be able to benefit from as well. And so let's go, let's go on this thing together. Right. Mm-hmm. And let me kind of show you because you, you've gone down that road and you've kind of come back. Now you're reaching back and you're going, Hey, let me, let me help to show you where some pitfalls might be. That yeah. you're, you're probably yeah. going to, man, if you didn't have me to be, to be here to guide you, you probably fall into it. And I don't want you mm-hmm. to have to, 
uh, learn some of those mm-hmm. lessons the hard way. I want you to, I want you to be yeah. able to have someone to steer you through this course. I and think it was you who said, I, I feel like maybe I heard you say this, like, w- would you rather go climb Mount Everest from someone who read the manual on how to do it or <laughs> someone who's done it? Who's done it. And right. part of me is now saying like, how about both? Like, yeah. I feel like with this added training and just all these different yeah. things that we get to have, um, with this coaching journey is just this, um, yeah, a deeper understanding yeah. of what trauma looks like. And for me, especially, especially sexual betrayal, trauma, just right. trauma around infertility, miscarriage, all these different things. But then the ability to sit with these women and say, oh, I know what that feeling feels like. Right, I'm right. so sorry you have to feel that right now. That yeah. is so confusing. But let me also tell you, it's not going to stay this way. This is how you feel right now, but it's not going to stay this way. That's good. And um, just to, yeah, be able to kind of guide them out. Some days I feel like, you know, there's still days that things trigger me. There's still still right. days where I'm reminded of things or whatever. So I think it feels a lot like I just ran out of a burning house and now I'm going back in to get other people out, yeah. but yeah. there's still like fire and ashes on me too, you know, right, but we right. get to do this together Yeah, and it's, it's really powerful that way. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, if you're interested in connecting with one of our certified coaches, um, if you're interested in, interested in connecting with Carissa, you can go to nothingiswaste.com slash coaching and you can find out a lot of information right there. You can actually request Carissa to be your coach. Um, and now Carissa particularly works in the areas of sexual betrayal and, mm-hmm. and infertility. However, you're able to work with folks across the board. So if yeah. you just feel a, a kindred spirit or a connection with Carissa, you're like, man, I just feel like I can trust her. That's a really mm-hmm. important component to coaching, mm-hmm. right? Because it's Great. all about that safe space, as you just talked about. Yeah. And along all these journeys of, of you know, there's these specific kinds of trauma, but in all of those, you know, there's just been a lot of church hurt, community yeah, loss, yeah, friend right. loss, like all these different elements to it. So I'm just passionate about trauma healing and being Mm. able to become whole again. And I'm still on my own journey of doing that and what that looks like, but I will be till I get to heaven. And so to get to walk people through that is, is quite an honor. So it's awesome. That's awesome. Well, again, nothing is wasted.com to find all of the resources uh, that we have to offer. We are passionate about helping you partner with God to take back your story. And we do believe one of those elements that are, it's a necessity is not just partnering with God, but letting other people come alongside of you like Carissa. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got so many resources where we would love to come alongside of you as a ministry as well. So you can go find those resources at nothingiswasted.com. We'll put a bunch of stuff in the show notes for you to access that stuff really easily, but make sure that you connect with us right there. Nothingiswasted.com. We, we want to thank sleeping at last for providing all the music for the nothing is wasted podcast. You can download and stream his music anywhere. Music can be downloaded and streamed. You can follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow me at Davy Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Obsamp. You can follow Carissa at Carissa Sprinkle. Yes, you can. Right? And um, and we would just love to be able to connect you, connect with you there. If you are listening to this on some kind of a podcast medium, no matter what it is, can you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review? That would we would love mm. that. That would be a huge favor for us. Um, but w- a couple things kind of leave a testimony there. Like, don't, don't just say this podcast was awesome. Like share with us how it has been personally impacting you. That encourages us. I know it encourages our team 
Um, I get to often be on the front lines, guys, to be honest with you, where I go and travel and speak and people come up and they say, man, I love your podcast. Um, you know, I just spoke at Grace College a couple uh, last this past Friday. So, you know, by the time this gets released, it'll be a couple of weeks ago. And the volleyball coach of Grace College came and said, hey, I'm a podcast listener. I love everything. It just helps me to get in the right mental state as we are on road trips and we're going into a match. And I'm like, man, we don't play jock jams or anything. So I don't know. It's an interesting <laughs> mental state. But no, I, I appreciated it so much because I was like, wow, it's so cool to hear that. I get to hear that often. So I get encouraged by that. But my team, like everyone at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, I want to be able to share that with them. And one of the ways they get to hear that and they stay encouraged and know that their work matters is by you telling us how it has been impacting you. So do that at Apple Podcasts. Rate and review it. Share your story with us. We'd love to hear it. Um, you can also do it on YouTube if you're watching YouTube. And um, and yeah, that'd just be super encouraging for us. Uh, next week, we have a wonderful conversation with Dr. Elizabeth Stevens. She wanted me to call her Ellie, which is great. And Aww. so <laughs> Dr. Ellie Stevens, uh, it felt a little bit, you know, more personal that way. And so want to make I sure that you it. tune in and listen to our conversation next week. Go ahead and take a listen to this little clip from my conversation with Dr. Ellie Stevens. Finally, they put me on a medication. They diagnosed the vestibular migraines and I got this horrible life-threatening rash. And it was just, mm. it was just, there was, there was no solution. And Jeez. that's what it felt like. And so I was sitting in this church service and the pastor looked right at me and I, I have it in the book, but I didn't know him. And it, I mean, it seemed like he was looking right at me and talking to me, but he said, some of you are in here angry. And mm. I didn't think that I was angry at all. But I started crying because my mm. my soul knew that I was angry, but I was unwilling to allow myself to realize that. And so there are a lot of moments like wow. that where it was it was the Holy Spirit convicting me in ways through other people or through situations uh, to help me identify what's truly going on within me to be honest and transparent with myself because that was the biggest barrier for me, I think, was to deny things, to repress, to push down, to yeah. deny because I didn't I didn't want to have to deal with it and I didn't want to see it.